Vanetics with Gabriel of Urantia and Neon Emerson Chase. An ongoing series of lectures and teachings on spiritual leadership, personal change, and the principles of divine administration. Part of the curriculum of the University of Ascension Science and the Physics of Rebellion. More information can be found at UASPR.org. This episode is titled, The Resurrection, its effect on the lives of those who believe in it from the first century to the 21st century. Here is Neon Emerson Chase. I want to start out with reading a letter that's addressed to each one of us. Dear friend, how are you? I just had to send you this letter to tell you how much I love and care about you. I saw you yesterday as you were walking with your friends. I waited all day hoping you would talk to me also. As evening drew near, I gave you a sunset to close your day and a cool breeze to rest you, and I waited. You never came. Oh, yes, it hurt me, but I still love you because I am your friend. I saw you fall asleep last night, and I longed to touch your brow, so I spilled moonlight upon your pillow and face. Again, I waited, wanting to rush down so we could talk. I have so many gifts for you. You awakened late and rushed off for the day. My tears were in the rain. Today you looked so sad, so alone. It makes my heart ache because I understand. My friends let me down and hurt me many times too, but I love them and I love you. I try to tell you in the quiet green grass. I whisper it in the leaves and trees. I breathe it in the colors of the flowers. I shout it to you in the mountain streams and give the birds love songs to sing. I clothe you with warm sunshine and perfume the air. My love for you is deeper than oceans and bigger than the biggest want or need you have. We will spend eternity together in heaven. I know how hard it is on this earth. I really know because I was there and I want to help you. My father wants to help you too. You know, he's that way. Just call me, ask me, talk to me. It's your decision. I have chosen you, and because of this, I will wait because I love you. Your friend, Jesus. I found this letter floating around on the internet about nine years ago, which in all of its simplicity reflects the fact that Jesus has indeed risen and is here with each one of us today. Are you looking for his presence 
in your moments? Are you hearing his guiding voice in your higher mind? Are you feeling his love in your heart circuitry? I want to share some words with you um, that Jesus said before his crucifixion. Paper 180 of the Urantia book is Jesus' farewell discourse that he gave before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. In that farewell talk, Jesus spoke words of encouragement to his apostles. He had much to say about the gift of his presence in the spirit of truth. These are some of his words. I will not leave you desolate. Today I can be with you only in person. In the times to come, I will be with you and all other persons who desire my presence, wherever you may be, and with each of you at the same time. Do you not discern that it is better for me to go away, that I leave you in the flesh, so that I may the better and the more fully be with you in the Spirit? And this Spirit of truth I will bestow upon you shall guide and comfort you and shall eventually lead you into all truth. I am going to send you my spirit, just like me, except for this material body. This new teacher, the spirit of truth, will live with each one of you in your hearts, and so will all the children of light be made one and be drawn toward one another. And in this very manner will my Father and I be able to live in the souls of each one of you and also in the hearts of all other persons who love us and make that love real in their experiences by loving one another, even as I am now loving you. And when my Spirit comes to indwell you, he will illuminate the difference between sin and righteousness and will enable you to judge wisely in your hearts concerning them. In Jesus' final admonitions and warnings to his beloved apostles found in paper 181 of the Urantia book, he reminded them about his teachings on the continuance of life after physical death. He said, Life in the Father's eternal creation is not an endless rest of idleness and selfish ease, but rather a ceaseless progression in grace, truth, and glory. Each of the many, many stations in my Father's house is a stopping place, a life designed to prepare you for the next one ahead. And so will the children of light go on from glory to glory until they attain the divine estate wherein they are spiritually perfected, even as the Father is perfect 
in all things. Just before his ordeal of arrest and eventual death, Jesus encouraged his apostles by clarifying how he could live on in them. He said to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I make these gifts not as the world gives, by measure. I give each of you all you will receive. He will give us all we choose to receive. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. I have overcome the world, and in me you shall all triumph through faith. In this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have triumphed in the world and shown you the way to eternal joy and everlasting service. The Midwayers tell us on page 1954 of the Urantia book that Jesus gives peace to his fellow doers in the will of God, but not on the order of the joys and satisfactions of this material world. It's a different kind of peace that he gives us. It's one that surpasses all those physical comforts and financial securities and being in with the in crowd. The Urantia book makes us aware that as the Son of Man, Jesus indeed suffered tribulation as any being, human being, on Urantia, this earth does. In fact, the Urantia book is very clear in pointing out that just before his arrest, Jesus experienced the thoughts and emotions that any human would have who was aware of the physical torture and the ridicule that he would have before his demeaning death. When Jesus was praying that night in Gethsemane, a few hours before his arrest, he said to Peter, James, and John, Cannot you see my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death and that I crave your companionship? Those three apostles could not help recognizing that Jesus was grievously oppressed Never before had they observed their master to be so heavy laden and sorrowful. The Urantia book tells us on page 1969 that throughout his life, Jesus experienced the natural ebb and flow of feeling which is common to all human experience. During this intense time of prayer and communion with God in Gethsemane before his arrest, we are told by the Midwayers that just now he was weary from work, exhausted from the long hours of strenuous labor and painful anxiety concerning the safety of his apostles. While no mortal man can presume to understand the thoughts and feelings of the incarnate Son of God at such a time as this, we know that he endured great anguish and suffered untold sorrow, for the perspiration rolled off his face in great drops. 
The divine mind of Michael knew he had done his best for the 12 apostles, but the human heart of Jesus wished that more might have been done for them before they should be left alone in the world. Jesus' heart was being crushed. He truly loved his brethren. He was isolated from his family in the flesh. One of his chosen associates was betraying him. His father Joseph's people had rejected him and thereby sealed their doom as a people with a special mission on earth. His soul was tortured by baffled love and rejected mercy. It was just one of those awful human moments when everything seems to bear down with crushing cruelty and terrible agony. The Midwayers go on to tell us that Jesus' humanity was not insensible to this situation of private loneliness, public shame, and the appearance of the failure of his cause. As all of these sentiments bore down on him with indescribable heaviness, in this great sorrow, his mind went back to the day of his childhood in Nazareth and to his early work in Galilee. At the time of this great trial, there came up in his mind many of those pleasant scenes of his earthly ministry, and it was from these old memories of Nazareth, Capernaum, and Mount Hermon, and of the sunrise and sunset on the shimmering Sea of Galilee, that he soothed himself as he made his human heart strong and ready to encounter the traitor who should so soon betray him. Before Judas and the soldiers arrived, the master had fully regained his customary poise. The spirit had triumphed over the flesh. Faith had asserted itself over all human tendencies to fear and entertain doubt. The supreme test of the full realization of the human nature had been met and acceptably passed. Once more, the Son of Man was prepared to face his enemies with equanimity and in the full assurance of his invincibility as a mortal man unreservedly dedicated to doing the Father's will. That description of this battle that he went on within himself in Gethsemane before his arrest can be found on pages 1,969 and 1,970 of the Urantia book. But what I see in this revelation of Jesus' mindful process before his arrest was that he was aware of what he had to endure. He did not want to go through this terrible physical and psychological torture and die, branded as a common criminal who was a disillusioned fool. He didn't want to do that. Who would? Jesus was accused by the media of his day of being an egomaniac. After all, he made the claim that he was the divine son, the promised Messiah, 
the one whom the prophets had spoken about hundreds of years before. He was considered a heretic. He did not stick to the teachings after all of the Hebrew scriptures, but he went beyond them and actually dared to contradict some of those traditional teachings. He claimed to be bringing through expanded revelation that went beyond the sacred writings of the Hebrews. How dare he do that? He even was forming a little alternative religious group with a bunch of apostles and disciples looking to him as their leader and teacher over and above the established, respected religious leaders. With all of the ridicule, condemnation, and rejection of the mainstream, which included family and friends of his childhood, Jesus naturally felt down. His career and destiny seemed ruined with no hope of him becoming a respected, loved, and accepted spiritual leader, in fact, the spiritual leader of the day, the Messiah for all on the world. Well, what did Jesus do about all this? What was his process? First and foremost, he thought of someone else. He encouraged his followers, especially the apostles, because they were the ones that were going to have to carry the biggest responsibility and burdens of carrying on this mission. He told them about the spirit of truth that he was giving them and that this spirit of truth would be more effective than his actual physical presence. And I read some of those words to you. He encouraged them and inspired them by reminding them of his teachings, the revelation that they were mandated to carry forth and share with the world. He was feeling strong and confident during that time of encouragement. But just a couple of hours later, just a few hours before his arrest, he plummeted in emotions and thoughts and suffered tremendous sorrow, grief, and fear. Fear for his beloved apostles, who he realized were so fragile and so limited in their understanding of the revelation he had given them. In this time of distress, Jesus reached out to these apostles, especially the three of them, them that were with him in Gethsemane, admitting that he needed their presence and love during this difficult time. He even became frustrated with them, for they kept falling asleep on him and not really being present for him and his in his ordeal. His human mind was disappointed in them, but his divine heart and mind understood that they were only able to give him in a limited manner, for they were but children in their understanding and spiritual growth. He also communed with God his father, pouring out his heart in the presence of these apostles, allowing them to see his humanness, his frailty. And in that communion with God, his mind shifted into a higher understanding.
it shifted into the divine mind, and he rose up out of that human suffering to face the ordeal of his arrest and ensuing torture and death with great poise, dignity, and most important, love. What is the lesson for us today from this? It's a lesson of Easter. It's the lesson of resurrection. We know that Jesus did literally resurrect from the dead, in spite of all the other theories that are going around. But before his actual physical arrest, he had already resurrected from his own discouragement. What does resurrection mean? In Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, there are a few definitions. Here's some of them. To rise from the dead. To rise again to life of all the human dead before the final judgment. Resurgence. Revival. Now here's an interesting definition of resurrection. A spiritualization of thought. Here's another one applicable for us now also in the dictionary. Material belief that yields to spiritual understanding. I think we're familiar with the meanings about rising from the dead, rising again from life, and the resurrection of people before judgment. But I want to read and emphasize again those last two definitions because that's the type of resurrection that Jesus experienced in his mind before he was even arrested. A spiritualization of thought, material belief that yields to spiritual understanding. Here in divine administration, it's taking us a little longer to resurrect in our minds than the two or three hours that it took Jesus. But we are indeed in the process of mindle resurrecting. And I think we all can see that in each other as well as in ourselves. Jesus was literally resurrected in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest and actual physical death. So he went through two resurrections. For his human thoughts and feelings became spiritualized. His material mind yielded to his divine mind, and his human understanding of his dilemma rose to a spiritual understanding. I think that this psycho-spiritual process that Jesus experienced was described in the Urantia book so that all humans could relate to it in our own experiences of discouragement, tragedy, and healing. It is a lesson for us today, and it's a lesson for every individual in the generations to come. Jesus set the example for us to follow, to rise from those ashes of deadly fear, discouragement, doubt, lack of faith, self-pity, and live again in the spiritualized mind that has a higher 
more comprehensive understanding of all the tribulations that we go through. Jesus rose from the material mind and body into the marancha mind and body. The message of the resurrection for all humans today is that after physical death, we too can move on to a higher plane of existence and consciousness, a marancha plane. Physical death need not be final, but merely a graduation into a sanctuary of sacred space where correction, rehabilitation, and healing happens. This message for all humans today is that in this current life on this world in a material body, we can rise from our lower consciousness that keeps us and our world in the limited confines of distrust, discouragement, and terrible pain and ensuing problems. We can be resurrected from our lower minds and lower selves and transformed into our higher minds and selves. We can begin to discover who we really are within our personality circuitry, not who we think we are in our false identities that keep us imprisoned in the muck and mire of addictive thinking and behavior. We in divine administration are in the resurrection process of ascending from a merely material consciousness into a marancha understanding of life, a fourth, fifth, and sixth-dimensional consciousness while actually here on your rancha in our physical bodies. It's going to take longer for us than it did for Jesus, but that is exactly what we're doing. Can we do any less than Jesus the man did? Yes, he was perfect. He was the Creator's Son. We know that. But he told his apostles that they would do even greater things than he. Now, what did he mean by that? He told them that he was going to be even more present with them after his physical death, and that would enable them to do greater things than he. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, for us apostles in this divine new order, we can reach even greater numbers of people with Jesus' fourth epical revelation and, in addition, the fifth epical revelation, which encompasses the Urantia book and which continues to come through the continuing fifth epical revelation found in the Cosmic Family volumes, in personal transmissions, in community transmissions. Doing greater things than Jesus means that he started the adjudication process and now we are with him in finishing it. It means that he spoke of light and life, which he attained for himself personally as the Son of Man, Jesus. Not only can we humans attain light and life personally as individuals, we can actually help bring the entire planet 
into that status of light and life. It means that we can actually have Jesus' mind, the mind of Christ, through his spirit of truth. And with that understanding, if we can continue forth through that, yes, we can do greater things than he as a man did, and that is what he has called us to do. He called some of us to do that about 2,000 years ago, what is called the first century, and he continues to call his apostles and disciples to do that today. With all that he has bestowed upon us, with all that we have, all those gifts, how can we fail? Vanetics with Gabriel of Urantia and Neon Emerson Chase. An ongoing series of lectures and teachings on spiritual leadership, personal change, and the principles of divine administration. Part of the curriculum of the University of Ascension Science and the Physics of Rebellion. More information can be found at uaspr.org.